0: Well, it is good to be with you all again, as always, folks. Um, I love stories. And for some of you uh, who know me or who have been in my office, you'll know that one of my very favorite stories begins with the words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I grew up with Star Wars. And, uh, you know, even if you haven't seen Star Wars... You've probably heard those words. Um, you would maybe, maybe you wouldn't be able to put your finger on where they come from, but you've at least heard that. And you've probably even heard the characters, Luke Skywalker, right? Han, very good. And, uh, you know, rest in peace, Princess Leia, that's right. Um, you know, Star Wars is such a great story of good versus evil, Um, It probably is one of the most iconic villains of all time in Darth Vader um, versus just a punk little kid, a brat kid from a desert planet um, in Luke Skywalker, right? And we all know that Luke ends up being the son of Darth Vader and all that stuff. So you know, it's such a great story and, and millions of people have grown up cherishing this story. Um, They've grown up probably more than they should cherishing this story, and now we see uh, that it's coming and making an impact on yet another generation, with new movies, new toys. I don't know if you've been to Target or any of those stores that, I mean, just aisles worth of Star Wars toys. Um, So, you know, this story has impacted a lot of lives. Maybe some of you aren't Star Wars fans necessarily. Let's say Lord of the Rings fans. Any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Yes, Lord of the Rings is yet another good versus evil story. Um, It's filled with all kinds of creatures and fantastic scenery, especially the movies, um, and also many heroic characters that fight against the forces of darkness. But maybe for the rest of you, you're not as much of a of a movie nerd like I am or like Jed is, um, but you just enjoy your normal TV show dramas where you can keep up with Blue Bloods. I, I don't know if there's any Blue Bloods fans, great family values in those shows or NCIS, or maybe for some of you it's Real Housewives or The Bachelor. Any, anybody like those stories? No? Don't like th- Okay, all right. Well, it's pretty... It's pretty obvious that as a society, in our culture, stories are a very significant part of that. I believe that um, we thrive on stories in our culture. We enjoy when we are able to find a greater meaning in a story that we can relate with. So this morning, if you'll allow me, I'd like to um, spend a, a little bit of our time talking about um, or telling a story that we've been going through for the last six weeks. Um, This is a story for many of us that is a story of redemption. It's a story of love and of grace. Unfortunately, others in our world, in our culture, find this story to be somewhat polarizing. They might see that it focuses on rules and legalism. But one of the things that uh, I've come to understand about this story is that it tells the truth of God's love for His creation. His desire to be with His people. And He has worked to make that happen by orchestrating events through certain people and written about... uh, Those people have been written about in the pages of Scripture. So, as you might recall, our story begins with Adam. Now, Adam was really the only man who experienced life in a world designed exactly as God had intended, spending true relationship with his creation. Adam and his wife Eve enjoyed life together in the Garden of Eden, uh, but they were soon tempted by a serpent uh, to eat of the fruit of the tree that we all know God had forbidden them to eat from. And by giving in to this temptation, Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. This sin created a separation from God because God cannot tolerate sin. God loves his people desperately, however, and thankfully. And he knew that he did not want to see this separation continue to exist. So he began his plan to bring his people back to himself. To bring us back across this divide that had been created by sin. And we saw this actually right away. When we look at the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve realized that they had sinned and they were what? They were ashamed, right? And then they realized that they were naked. So they ran and hid. And God sought them out. God continued his pursuit of people through the story of Abraham. This was our next week. That we looked at, Mike uh, painted a story of Abraham, um, which you know through him God promised to provide a new kingdom of His people, who would be set apart. He told Abraham and that he and his wife Sarah would soon have a son, which was somewhat crazy for Abraham because he knew that he was getting up there in age, and as was his wife, and Sarah was actually barren. As well. You might even remember that Abraham uh, became impatient, waiting for his son. So he took it upon himself um, to make this happen, and he slept with Sarah's servant, right? And then she had a son named Ishmael. But this was not God's plan. And despite Adam's doubts and his mistakes, God fulfilled his promise, and Sarah soon gave birth to a son named Isaac. God's new nation was rising up through Isaac and his descendants, and their numbers would increase greatly. But the Israelites would soon end up in slavery in Egypt, where a man named Moses was ultimately born. And we all have seen the Ten Commandments, I trust, so many of us know the story of Moses. The Israelites had become very numerous, especially while in slavery in Egypt. And this concerned the Pharaoh. He became nervous. And so uh, he, he, he said that the Israelites could soon outnumber us and join our enemies if there is to be a war, and then they could flee our country. So the Pharaoh made a new law that said children, uh, Israelite children would be put to death And Moses' mother, fearing this, fearing for Moses' life, put him in a basket and floated him down the Nile River where he was picked up by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was raised then as an Egyptian and ended up uh, trying to protect an Israelite slave who was being oppressed by an Egyptian soldier. And Moses ended up committing murder Uh, By killing this Egyptian soldier. So then he fled to the wilderness. Where God came to him in the form of a burning bush. And told Moses that he desired to free his people from slavery. God would use Moses to help the Israelites escape Egypt. And lead them to the promised land. The Israelites had their ups and downs. Made many mistakes but God... Remained faithful to them and brought them a king named David. Now, as we know, David fought and killed Goliath, the giant, correct? When he was a young boy, he wrote a lot of songs and was, and by songs I mean, we see a lot of our scripture and Psalms that David had in fact written, and many times he used those in worship. And David was perhaps one of the greatest kings in history. But David still made his own mistakes. We know uh, that one of the biggest stories in David's life was that he slept with another man's wife. Got her pregnant and ultimately, to try and cover it up, had this man killed. But then David was soon confronted by a man named Nathan who God had sent to call David to repentance. You see, God knew where David's heart really was, and he still had a desire to use him and to do great things through him. So, God did use David, despite his mistakes, and ultimately blessed him by bringing us a Savior through David's lineage. Now, last week, Mike talked to us about Jesus. Um, We talk about Jesus pretty much every week here at the church. But so it really doesn't even need to be said that Jesus is the most important character that we've been talking about through this story. God has done the greatest work by sending his son Jesus here for us. But understanding who Jesus really was helps us understand why God did it this way. In the Gospel of John, the very first words of the Gospel of John, Are this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This sets Jesus apart. The Word in this passage that John is referring to is Jesus, and this helps us understand that Jesus had been with God from the beginning, that He and God are the same. And then again, we also understand that Jesus was fully man, He was fully God. And fully man. And we see this through Matthew's writing in the first chapter of Matthew. It says that Jesus came as a man, being a distant relative of David, and was born in the city of David. We all know this story. At the time of Jesus' birth, the Roman Empire was in charge of much of the world, they ruled over much of that part of the world at the time. And the emperor sent out a decree that all people must register. They held the first census so that everyone was to return to the city of their ancestry. So Joseph, Jesus' uh, soon to be uh, worldly father, earthly father, um, took his pregnant, soon to be wife Mary to Bethlehem to register, where Jesus was born and laid in a manger. And now we know about Jesus' birth and a little bit about his childhood, but we know a great deal about the man that he was, and we know a great deal about his ministry. Throughout Jesus' life, especially in his ministry, Jesus taught, he served, he loved, he performed miracles, and ultimately he built a following of people whom he spent each day with until his crucifixion. This following of people whom Jesus had spent much of his time with and uh, many days teaching and loving and serving, this group of people never quite understood how important they were. They never quite understood who they would be after Jesus would leave. But Jesus had given them a great purpose, And was preparing them to do a great work for God's kingdom. But before that could take place, we know how this story ends. Jesus had to take his final steps as a man and complete the task he had been sent to do. Jesus lived a sinless life. Died on a cross for our sins. And was raised from the dead, conquering death And therefore giving us salvation through him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God's plan was complete. The end. Right? No, no, that's not right. God's plan is not complete. Sure, you know, God did an amazing, amazing thing through his son, Jesus. He's given us that opportunity to have salvation and to live with him in eternity. But you know what? We have work to do. There's still one more person. We told you that we're six people that we're going to talk about through this series. There's still one more person that we've got to talk about. And that person is you. Person is me. It's all of us. I want you to open up your Bibles uh, to Matthew 16. And I'm sorry, I meant to write down the page number, but I forgot. So if someone wants to shout that out, you you can absolutely do that. Matthew 16, and we're going to begin with verse 13. In verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Then Simon Peter answered, he says, You are the the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In this passage, this is the first time that anyone had acknowledged who Jesus truly was. That he is the divine, just as John opens his uh, book to, um, Jesus is the divine, the actual Messiah whom the Jews had been waiting for. They've been anticipating this because it had been prophesied for so long. He was the coming Savior, and Jesus' response to Peter here is remarkable. He, he First of all, he acknowledges that Peter has been given a great revelation by God to be able to understand that this is truly who Jesus is. But even more significant, Jesus introduces a brand new character to the Bible, a character that we have not seen in Scripture until now, the church. The word which Jesus uses to describe the church here, uh, in Greek, is ekklesia, which when it's, that's translated into English means called out. You see, Jesus knew that his disciples would begin a community. This would be a community of believers in him, witnesses that had seen what he had done, and they would ultimately, in the book of Acts, become known as the church. The same is true today that we are called out as the church to be a community. Not just a building, but a group of believers working together to accomplish the mission that Jesus has called us to do. Jesus says that as the church, as the called out, we will be an unstoppable force that will be built upon Christ himself as the foundation. That not even hell, not even death, can stop the church. Which is built on Christ because Christ conquered death. 1 Corinthians 3.11 refers to Christ being the foundation. It says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And again, in Ephesians two verse twenty, Paul refers... ...to God's household. He says, ...built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets... ...with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. I want to walk back just a minute um, with you to our first week. And some of you might remember um, Bryce... ...when he was introducing this series for us... ...he talked a little bit about a social media site called Twitter. And I think that some of you are familiar with Twitter... Um, but Bryce was saying that if he could sum up the story of the Bible into one tweet, remember you only get 140 characters. He would say, "God desires to be with us." Right? Okay. Well, I'm not sure. Like I said, I think some of you in this room use Twitter, and um, I I think that some of you probably know that I myself pride I pride myself. Uh, on keeping up with social media and things like that, with culture. Um, And so I've been on Twitter for a long time. I've done Facebook and all of those things, and I just really enjoy it. So it was actually an an embarrassing day for me when I finally had to ask one of my good friends what hashtags were. And um, I just had to kind of humble myself and say, Hey, Seth. I really don't get it. I just these have, I've been on Twitter for a while, and I just don't get what people are doing with hashtags. Now, this was several years ago, so give me a little bit of a break. But, um, so my friend Seth just explained uh, that you simply add a little hashtag mark. It looks like a little number symbol to a word when you're trying to make a statement on Twitter, right? So. Um, If you're trying to talk about something that might sound kind of vague and you want people to know what you're talking about, you can add a hashtag to it. And then also, people who are following that hashtag will um, see that you've included yourself in this conversation. So let me give you an example. Today is what? Super Bowl Sunday. I heard somebody say it. That's right. So um, if I wanted to tweet something about Super Bowl Sunday this is what I would tweet. I would say, gosh, I hope Tom loses tonight. Hashtag Super Bowl. Hashtag Deflategate. And hashtag GoFalcons. So that's what I would say if, if I wanted to chime in and say, you know, this is my, these are my thoughts on the Super Bowl. So now some of you, maybe you guys might want to tweet today, man, I had a good nap this morning. Hashtag Josh is preaching. So So, um, you know, you guys, we're getting, we're getting to where we understand how Twitter works and how we use it, um, but one of the things that's great is now, as we've gone through the series, now we're starting to understand what the truth of Scripture is. The underlying story is that God desires to be with us, just as Bryce said. And now we understand, by looking at the passages that we've discovered, that God has called us to be his church, called his believers uh, to be a part of that. And he wants us to use that. So if we were going to add that to Bryce's uh, tweet, we'd say, God desires to be with us, hashtag the church, hashtag called out, and hashtag us. We are the church. We are the called out. So it's important for us to remember that while... Scripture has been written. That has been recorded. We see that we have been called to be the church. The story is not over. God still has work for us to do. So what does that mean? What are we to do? How do we accomplish this? What do we do? We build his church. Matthew 28 You can turn there if you want. We're going to be reading verses 18 and 19. Matthew 28, Jesus is standing in front of the disciples, getting ready to return to be with his Father. And he gives them what is known as the Great Commission. Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Folks, this is an amazing task. Some might even say that it's impossible. And I'm here to tell you that without God, without God assisting and helping us with this, they would be right. It would be impossible. But I also want to remind you what Jesus says in the very last part of that passage he says, I am with you always. In the book of Acts chapter 1, it describes that around the same time as that Jesus is giving the disciples the Great Commission, he also reveals that the disciples would receive the Holy Spirit.
1: One day after his resurrection, while Jesus was eating a meal with his disciples, he told them that they would soon be given power to take his message all over the world. They would be given the Holy Spirit of God, he said. After he said this, Jesus flew up into the sky right in front of them and they did not see him again. So the disciples waited and prayed. 10 days later, they were gathered and a sound like a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house. They looked around and saw what looked like tongues of fire dancing above each of them. They all began to speak in different languages, causing such a commotion that a crowd gathered to see what was going on. Someone accused them of being drunk, so Peter stood up to say something. He told them that they were not drunk, but that God had given them the power of his spirit. He recounted the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and told the people to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. That day, 3,000 people believed what he said and became followers of Jesus.
0: I really appreciated Dan's communion uh, message this morning, because it does go right into what we're about to understand, and we're going to read through part of this scripture that Dan read um, as well. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common." Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, Jesus had promised that he would be with them. And he promised the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit empowered the early church to set an example for us as the church now in the world that we live in today. The Spirit is still active among us and gives us the tools that we need to accomplish this mission. The Holy Spirit was essential because the church is made up of people and we are not perfect In fact, throughout the rest of Scripture, that's what we see. Uh, We read through uh, letters commonly known as the epistles. Um, The rest of the New Testament is filled with these letters that had been written to the churches that had been established by the apostles. These letters often rebuked um, the leaders of these churches. They challenged them. They also encouraged them. Leading them and telling each of the leaders of the churches How to be obedient to God's word and how to be obedient to what God intends for his church. And it is through these letters and these epistles that we as a church here in Whiting, Iowa, have determined our purpose and our vision. As many of you know, our mission here at Whiting Christian Church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we do this through a strategy that we call inviting, sharing, and serving. And I want to just give you a little bit of what that looks like for us. You see, inviting means to be externally focused. We go outside of these doors because, let's face it, we're only here once a week, right? So we develop relationships with our neighbors, with our friends with people that we want to be able to draw into God's church, into his body. And then when they're here, we want to provide a safe place for them to feel like they are learning who God is. And then we decide, we, we help them decide to move into a time where they are going to share in life with us in community. We share by creating Opportunities for people to grow the relationship that they've already established. We do that through meals that we provide, through events that we put on. And then we offer opportunities for people to be the church in homes, just as is described here in Acts. By uh, what we use, what we call life groups are just small church, essentially, where they go and they study God's word together in their homes. They encourage one another, and they ensure that no one has any need. We also serve one another um, by being giving of our time, our talents, and the gifts that we've been given. And we do that together as a community. We serve um, in our church, we serve in the towns that we live in, and then we serve globally. One of the things that I love the most that we do here uh, at Whiting is. Um, we have a food pantry that helps so many families. Um, I think we had it figured out that there were 88 families that had been served throughout 2016 last year. And that is because of you, the church, being willing to give your resources to help folks that need to take advantage of that. And another way that we serve is by taking uh, 10% right off of our offering each week and putting that directly towards the 10 missionaries that we support around the world. We desire for each person in the church to be a part of this process. We want you to be excited about accomplishing this mission together. For those of you who have already committed to this, to this mission and, and made that commitment to follow Christ We want to thank you for the way that you serve this church. And for those of you who haven't quite made that commitment yet, that's okay, but I do want to ask, why not? What might be standing in your way? We want to give the best opportunity that we can for each of you to understand what your next step is here at Whiting Christian Church. Today, in fact, as Jed mentioned earlier in our service, we have our first step. And First Step um, has become an opportunity um, for newcomers to our church to come and meet staff to find out just a little bit more about the church and most importantly, figure out how you're going to get involved with discipleship. Maybe you're going to join a life group. Maybe you're going to start serving in the church. Or maybe you're going to make the decision for the first time to follow Christ. I want to encourage you to be praying about that to be praying how God might be leading you to make that commitment. Our commitment to God's mission requires a commitment to growing our relationship with Jesus. The more we allow him to transform our lives, the more the Holy Spirit will be able to use the gifts and the abilities that God has given us as followers of Christ to build God's kingdom. And I pray that you are ready to join us on that mission. And I'd like to wrap up with this, that we must remember that while we have work to do as the church here on earth, that is not the final chapter of God's story. The book of Revelation tells us that Christ will one day return. We have the hope through the promise of the words of Revelation 21.4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God's mission will ultimately be complete. And as we've already discovered, we are called to be a big part of that mission. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus, for his willingness to give his life for us. I pray that we would take that truth and that we would allow you to work in us, to transform us, to be willing to commit to growing your church, to growing your kingdom. And God, I pray that you would work through us, that you would and continue to do great things in this church and that we would be excited about the call that you've placed on us to grow your kingdom. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen.